The views in this do not necessarily reflect the views of WKNC, Student Media, or NCSU. You're listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1. Good evening, Raleigh, and welcome to this week's Eye on the Triangle. It's Tuesday, November 11th, and on behalf of the EOT team here at WKNC, I'd like to thank you for tuning in. I'm Nick Savage. Tonight, we'd like to start off with a special thanks to all veterans for their service to our country. Today, we honor you and recognize the work you have all done to protect our freedom. Thank you. On Eye on the Triangle tonight, we bring you coverage on a special event here on campus last night. In addition, we have coverage on a fashion event here in the Triangle that's more than may meet the eye. And in a bit of random news brought to us by our correspondent Mark in Edinburgh, Scotland, an NBC meteorologist was today caught on camera with his trousers down when the news anchor cut to Sugar Mountain, North Carolina to find out about the recent and upcoming climatic events. Thanks, Mark. Last night, NC State played host to a very distinguished guest and in a very unique way. President Theodore Roosevelt visited our very own McKimmon Center as part of a series of events celebrating the 85th anniversary of the College of Natural Resources here at NC State. Of course, the guest was really Joe Wygand, a renowned Teddy Roosevelt impersonator who has performed for audiences around the country. But last night, Joe was nowhere to be found as President Roosevelt mingled with guests and faculty of the College of Natural Resources in a pre-speech reception. After some photos and engaging the crowd without breaking character for a second, President Roosevelt took the stage in front of an audience of about 150. It was immediately clear that we weren't in for a boring evening. His speech made it appear as though he had recently made his way off of a time machine, but was quite aware of what had happened between his time and the present. He set off into a series of anecdotes ranging from early childhood through post-presidency, keeping the mood light with the occasional funny bit and his boisterous laugh to go with it. On a pillow his daughter Alice had, for example, there was a message inscribed. The message on the pillow said, if you don't have anything nice to say about someone, come sit next to me. (laughs) I think we all know someone like Alice, or at least we should. He continued with some of the crazy happenings about the White House during the Roosevelt years. If I had fun at the White House, the children had so much more fun, in in great part for the fact that the the White House in the Roosevelt years was a veritable zoo, a menagerie of animals, uh, like you, cats and dogs, perhaps horses. Uh, The Roosevelt rat terriers uh, made the White House rat-free for the first time in decades. But I wonder if any of you at home have a pet badger? I do not recommend it. (laughs) Our badger, Josiah, did terrible things to the people's furniture with his three and four inch claws. We had a one-legged rooster and a parrot that on command shouted, Hurrah for Roosevelt! <laughs> rather powerful to the parrot myself. Uh, the boys would play with snakes and lean over a balcony and drop a snake onto the lap of a congressman waiting outside my office. I normally didn't protest. Given the characters in Congress, this was something akin to a family reunion in, in some cases. Uh, the children named their pets after the famous and friendly people that visited us at Sagamore Hill and at the White House, especially those that were the kindest, the most endearing to the children. But then the children weren't always exact with regards to gender, uh, leading to the situation one afternoon at the White House where young Archie excitedly interrupted a cabinet meeting, shouting out with regards to one of his hamsters, Father, Father, Bishop Doan has just given birth to twins! <laughs> News to the good bishop, I'm sure. He also emphasized the importance of the conservation efforts he carried out, which comprise a large part of his legacy. It was 1903 when I toured the country by train. 
I was nearly two months away from the White House, 22 states and two territories. I camped in Yellowstone for two weeks with John Burroughs, the great bird man of the Catskills. I climbed in Yosemite for three days and nights, camping and tramping with John Muir, the founder of the Sierra Club, the great botanist of the Sierra Nevadas. And I, for the first time in my life, saw the Grand Canyon. Have you seen it? How it took my breath away. I told the people of Arizona Territory, do nothing to it. Anything that you do to it can only mar it. That the ages had been at work upon it and nothing that we did would improve it. But what we could do is preserve it for our children, for our grandchildren, for Americans not yet born in the womb of time as the one great sight which every American should see. I returned to the nation's capital, and in my subsequent message to Congress, today we call it the State of the Union, I requested that Congress make the Grand Canyon a national park. But Congress refused, as they did each and every subsequent year. There were members of Congress working hand in pocket with developers. Can you imagine what a crime it would be today if the Grand Canyon were a giant copper mining operation? If at night the rim of that great canyon was surrounded by the lights of hotels and casinos. Uh, in uh, later years, in January 1908, after Congress had passed the Monuments and Antiquities Act, uh, well, uh, that act gave me the powers to do so. I signed an executive order naming 880,000 acres of the Grand Canyon a national monument. I said Congress would eventually come about its census, which eventually they did, uh, making the Grand Canyon a national park during the Wilson administration. And he made sure to include a bit of humor now and then to make sure we were paying attention. I planned a great hunting safari on behalf of the Smithsonian Institution. We were headed to British East Africa, today Kenya, Tanzania, Uganda, and Sudan. Uh, when we left New York Harbor, my great nemesis, J.P. Moore, the financier, one of the men that I called the malefactors of great wealth, uh, he and his partners, whom we had successfully sued in the Northern Securities Anti-Railroad Trust case, the first successful prosecution of a corporation under the Sherman Antitrust Laws. Uh, when we left New York Harbor, J.P. Morgan, he and his Manhattan library, surrounded by his uh, European masterpieces and his wealthy friends, well, he toasted to our venture, thusly, to the lions, may they do their duty. <laughs> Over the course of the evening, he brought up several of the struggles encountered by President Roosevelt during his life and aimed to show us that despite the troubles before him, he was not brought down easily. Good citizens, we've all known victory, we've all known defeat, we're all human, we all prefer the former over the latter. But I've shared some of these stories with you in brief this evening to give you some encouragement. Why, what if when I was a young boy, I'd allowed myself to think of myself and define myself as a weak, sickly invalid? Instead, through hard work and exercise, building my body and living that strenuous life. What if as a young man, I allowed my life to be enveloped and defined by that terrible twin tragedy that befell me that St. Valentine's Day? Instead, going to the Badlands, through hard work, healing, getting back in the family way, 17 grandchildren. Why, even in politics, as you heard, as a young man, I ran for the mayorship of New York. I came in third. Out of three. <laughs> That's last place. What if I had given up on politics and public service after such a humiliating defeat in my home city? I would have never been your president, fighting for the square deal, 
Uh, the reason, by the way, that the artist got some bargain says, I'm atop Mount Rushmore with the other three. No, indeed, you here know, even the youngest amongst us, that in the each and every one of our lives, there will be hardship, tragedy, and defeat. Life will knock you down. Your duty to yourself, to your families, to the Republic, is that when life does knock you down, you're to get back up again. Dust yourself off and get back into the fight for life. Well, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, in October 1912, I left the Hotel Gilpatrick to go and make a speech to thousands of citizens waiting at the auditorium. I, I uh, ascended an open-air automobile and turned and waved to the enthusiastic crowd outside the hotel. When I did so, a madman reached into the automobile and shot me at close range with a 38 caliber. The bullet pierced my overcoat, my folded speech, my steel eyeglass case, lodged deep in my chest and knocked me down in the automobile in which I was riding. I first stood and made sure that no vigilante justice was done to the madman that shot me. But then, being a hunter and a former soldier, I knew to spit into my palm and to check my spittle. There was no blood in my spittle. My lung was not punctured. It was but a mere flesh wound. I refused medical attention. I demanded to go and make my speech to the thousands of waiting at the auditorium. I climbed upon the stage. I pulled my jacket to the side. I showed the audience my bloody blouse. I said, you must bear with me. You may not understand. I've just been shot. <laughs> but it takes more than a bullet to kill a bull moose. I spoke for 80 minutes with a bullet in my chest. And right now, Dean Watson is wondering what sort of gun it will take to get me to stop hollering at her guests near the seat. <laughs> I assure you, I, I come to a conclusion, knowing it's a school night and there's a tremendous seminar uh, to be held in celebration of the anniversary tomorrow. And finally, the story we all learned in school, the story that earned him the nickname we know today. No, uh, indeed, in conclusion tonight, uh, perhaps I am now admittedly best remembered for the legacy of a failure. <coughs> failed bear hunt in Onward, Mississippi in 1902. Uh, my friends and I had been three days in the canebrakes of the Mississippi River Delta, and we had not even seen a bear, in great part for the fact that my friends from Louisiana and Mississippi attempted to outdo one another with regards to the expression of Southern hospitality. Uh, those of you who are sportsmen or sportswomen understand, you can either have a good hunt or a good picnic. You generally cannot have them both at the same time in the same place. I'm sure we scared every bear out of the Delta by that third night. But on the third night, the famous hunting guide, Holt Cowley, came into camp. He of Greenville, Mississippi. He said, Mr. President, I shall have you a bear by morning if I need to bring it into camp by the end of a rope. And we all laughed. The next morning, men were yelling, dogs were barking. I raced out from my tent, and there indeed, Mr. Collier had tethered an old wounded male bear to a tree. The bear was greatly wounded on his chest. Hunting dogs had attacked the bear. The bear killed two of the hunting dogs. Mr. Collier, wanting to save his prize hunting dogs, but fearing to fire his rifle for fear of harming the dogs, he went into the shallow water in which the bear and the dogs were wrestling, and he broke the barrel of his gun across the bear's head. The bear was bleeding from a great gash and wound on its head. When the bear was dazed by the blow, Mr. Collier tied one end of his lariat around the bear's neck, dove and tied the other end to a tree. And this horrific scene was the scene upon which I came, rushing from my tent. My horror compounded when one in my hunting party said, Mr. President, there's your bear. Go ahead and shoot your bear. What a cowardly thing that would have been to do. As you've heard, I founded Boone and Crockett, the nation's first bear hunting and conservation organization. Shortly after my time cattle ranching in the Dakotas, where I'd seen the western game and its habitat decimated, I refused to shoot that wounded and tied bear. The story spread throughout the country to cartoonist Clifford Berryman. Hearing that story, drew a cartoon of the incident, called it Drawing the Line in Mississippi. 
The cartoon showed uh, uh, me refusing to shoot a small bear cub tied to a tree. When I returned to the White House, I received a letter from the Mictum family. They eventually, the ideal toy company of New York City, New York. Mrs. Mictum, in her letter to me, asking permission to make a stuffed bear and to name it after me. I wrote back, I said, you may go ahead and do so, but I don't think it will help your sales very much at all. <laughs> I wonder if any of you have known the love and comfort of what then was called Teddy's Bear. Do any of you here still have your Teddy Bear? There you are. Up with your hands, men. Real men have teddy bears. <laughs> I, I see some of you ladies have married your teddy bears, haven't you? And of course, he left us with the most famous of his quotes and a Veterans Day acknowledgement. I spoke at the great universities of Europe, including in April 1910 at the Sorbonne, the University of Paris. I made a speech there, which is amongst the most famous of my utterances. I recommend the speech in its entirety to you. It's called Citizenship in a Republic. Uh, you're greatly relieved to know that I shall not recite the speech in its entirety to you this evening. It is a small portion of that speech, which remains famous to this day. And how it delights me to know that these words today are stenciled below decks on the USS Theodore Roosevelt. The Navy calls that great nuclear aircraft carrier the big stick, as in the old African proverb I was wont to quote, speak softly and carry a big stick, you will go far. And I share these words of encouragement with you, the good people of North Carolina State University, and especially the College of Natural Resources, uh, by being here tonight, uh, it's self-evident, you are conservationists. Uh, you are in the service of your fellow North Carolinians and your fellow Americans. Uh, you're about doing good deeds. And of course, this is America. No good deed goes unpunished. Certainly no good deed goes without its second guessing, its Monday morning quarterbacking, its Criticism, when you are criticized, take heart from the uh, words that I shared with the French a century ago and with you here in Raleigh this evening. Remember, it is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the door of deeds could have done better. The credit belongs to the man and today to the woman who's actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood who strives valiantly, who errs and comes up short to gain the game, because there is no effort without error or shortcoming, but who knows the great devotions, the great enthusiasms, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who in the end, at the best, knows the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly, that his name shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat, uh, but uh, I do so encouraging each and every one of you to do your fair share, uh, to take this wonderful legacy of conservation for which so many fought so hard, to pass it on to the future generations in better shape than you found it. Leave your campground cleaner than you found it is what the scouts teach us. And I know that you'll answer that call to duty, that indeed this will be a better country but for the work being done here at North Carolina State University, especially by the College of Natural Resources, and by each and every one of you who answers that call, uh, we were reminded about at Rotary today, when you put service above self. We are a great nation. We pile up great wealth. But woe unto us if we think the measurement of our greatness is simply material wealth. We are a great country because we are a good people. We are called to be a good and moral people. 
and uh, in our public life as well as in our private life. And I hope that uh, you, in turn, though the election season is most recently passed, uh, hold your elected officials' feet to the fire. Remind them that they are indeed public servants. And remind them that one of the greatest causes uh, for which any public servant must fight is the cause of the preservation and the conservation of our natural resources for future generations. We live in a country that is indeed free and prosperous. We do so because millions that have come before us have sacrificed that we might so live. And no greater sacrifice has been made than by the veteran and the veteran's family. And so I charge each and every one of you here tonight to go forward into the darkness of this night and seek the dawn of tomorrow and the optimism that the brightest days of this country are before us. God bless America and God bless North Carolina State University. Thank you all for joining for Eye on the Triangle, I'm Nick Savage. And up next, we have a highlight of a local fashion show featuring local designers, and it benefits a good cause. Sarah has more. The sixth annual Coacher for a Cause is going to be happening this Saturday, and doors open at 7 p.m. Here to tell me about it is Executive Director Amber Smith of Activate for Good. Welcome to the show, Amber. Thanks for having me. Could you start off by telling me what exactly Coacher for Cause is? So Couture for a Cause is a fashion show and auction where we pair local fashion designers with about 20 or so of our nonprofit partners. And then the designers create two outfits, one ready to wear and one couture inspired by the nonprofit that they were paired with. So it's really cool. How are the outfits inspired by Activate for Good? So they're actually inspired by the nonprofit partners that the designers are paired with. So, for example, Activate Good works with over 230 charities around the triangle. Um, so this year, for example, we have a designer matched with the Ronald McDonald House. So that designer is going to think about, you know, what does the Ronald McDonald House represent? What are the colors that they use in their branding? Um, and how can I capture what they represent in an outfit? So you come up with some really, like, interesting outfits. A couple years ago, we had a designer um, working with an education organization and her outfit had like um, pauldrons on the shoulders, like made of pencils. It was really cool. That sounds really cool. So is there then a competition among the designers? Is there prizes like first place, second place, third place? Yes, we have a judge panel and the judges judge on creativity and quality and then how well the uh, designers have captured the mission of the nonprofit in the outfits. So we'll have um, somewhere between two and, or three designers win a prize. Um, and this year, we're also bringing back audience voting. So folks can vote on their phones for their favorite designer, and they'll get the Audience Choice Award. All right. And then how does the fashion show benefit these nonprofit organizations? Is it solely through ticket sales? So the event actually raises funds for Activate Good, and then Activate Good serves the nonprofit partners, over 230 of them around the triangle, by recruiting volunteers to fulfill their various volunteer needs throughout the year. So the funds raised support Activate Good's programs, which in turn help the nonprofits that we work with. All right. And how does Activate Good connect volunteers with these different nonprofit organizations? So lots of different ways. The nonprofits tell us what they need by posting their volunteer opportunities on our website, activategood.org. And then we 
connect folks who sign up on our website to those opportunities. And sometimes we'll come across an opportunity that we know would be a great fit for someone that we've worked with, maybe a person or even a company, and we'll recommend that opportunity to them to try to get them matched up. So it's kind of like we're matchmakers of volunteer opportunities. When did Activate Good start and how did it get started? So we got started in 2005, um, almost a decade ago, which is crazy. It started when my friend Heather and I um, decided to go on a two and a half month road trip around the country in which we'd volunteer in every state that we visited, which was just over 20 states before we completely ran out of money. Um, so we volunteered in all these different states and got to know a lot of great folks. And the message we would always hear from the nonprofits was, we need more volunteers. And then the message we would hear from just the random people we would meet on the trip was, yeah, you know, I've been thinking of getting involved, but I'm not quite sure how to get started. So when we came home to Raleigh, we decided, let's create an organization that would connect the people who wanted to do good and help out in some area with the causes that needed their help. Okay. And then how did you guys come up with the idea for Coacher for a Cause? So a couple of years after Activate Good had been created, we realized that if we're going to serve more charities and help more folks find good volunteer opportunities, that we needed to raise a little bit of money to support programs. Um, so we were looking for an idea for a signature fundraiser, and one of our volunteers came up with the idea for a fashion show. Um, and I admit at the time I was skeptical because I um, didn't know how well a fashion show would do. But as it turns out, this area, um, the Raleigh community, is actually um, really growing in the area of fashion. So it turned out to be a really good fit. And we have filled the house for the past couple of years. And what was it like trying to get this co-chair for a cause fashion show started and trying to get sponsors and designers? Was it easy or was it a bit of a challenge at first? Well, it's pretty hard because I'd never done a fashion show before personally. So um, we just had to find the right people in the community to ask, you know, like, where can we recruit designers? And um, actually, a lot of designers come from NC State. So we'll have um, the design school gets involved and, and a lot of um, professors here help promote the event to their students as an opportunity to build experience, which is awesome. Um, and then sponsorships are really hard to get. But there are a lot of generous people in the community who are um, always willing to help um, with food and other things that you need to put on an event like this. So, you know, you just build up relationships and don't be afraid to ask. And if they say no, then they say no. But lots of people say yes. Sounds like you come up with a really great success. I mean, to have it sold out, like you said, for a couple of years now. What? How would you say it has changed? From its inception to now, like, do you have anything new planned and special for this year? I would say it's really grown in size. Um, the first year, I think we had maybe 200 or so people. Now we have over 500 people attending the event. Um, in terms of how it's changed, we now have a really cool VIP lounge. So this year, for example, we'll have Melting Pot doing chocolate and strawberry fondue in the VIP lounge and chair massages donated by Generation Salon. So um, lots of um, cool things, cool incentives to get involved in the event. The chocolate sounds really good and so do the massages. And I was also reading that there's going to be a silent auction, too. Can you tell me a little more about that? Yeah. So we have a lot of great 
companies in the area who will donate things like spa packages or um, we have a, a place in Boone, North Carolina, donating like a resort stay, stuff like that. So in addition to just attending the event or sponsoring the event, um, you can participate in the silent auction, bid on some of the items you're interested in. There's also a live auction, um, which maybe you were getting to that, but I'll go ahead and say it now. Um, so after you see the dresses on the runway, you can actually bid on them in a live auction. So you could possibly take home a one-of-a-kind dress inspired by an area cause. And how much do those dresses cost? It really depends on where the bids go. I mean, I've seen them go for as high as six or $700. Um, it really honestly just depends on the audience and what they're feeling. You never can predict it. Okay, that was a little cheaper than what I expected. If they're one-of-a-kind dresses, I was wondering, like, oh, are these $1,000 dresses? It wouldn't surprise me if it got to that at some point. Can you also talk about the logistics of it, too? So the doors open at 7, but the fashion show starts at 8, correct? And then the live auction is happening during slash after, and then people can eat food during this, too? So when folks walk in at 7, um, they will have an opportunity to check out our cash bar if you're 21 and up, um, our silent auction, and uh, if, you're, if you've got VIP tickets, then you can hang out in the VIP lounge, get those chair massages. Um, seating will then begin uh, around um, 8, and then folks will be able to take their seats, and the show will begin after the first show, which is the ready-to-wear show, will have the ready-to-wear live auction, so people can bid immediately on the dresses they just saw. Then we have an intermission so folks can go back and enter in more bids for the silent auction. And then they go back for the couture show and couture live auction. What's the difference between the ready-to-wear show and the couture show? The style of the outfits, for sure. Ready-to-wear is exactly what it sounds like. Um, outfits that you could feasibly wear in everyday life. Um, couture outfits are a little bit more zany. A um, little bit more art to wear. I know you guys have art to wear here at NC State. It's um, So there's a lot of um, similarities there in terms of the styling and the um, embellishments that would go on a, on a couture outfit. And how much has this event raised in the past and how much do you expect it to raise this year? The event raises and we expect it to raise about $30,000, which is a great help to our programs. That sounds amazing. Other than benefiting a good cause and having people enjoy, who enjoy fashion and like watching models and eating good food and bidding on a silent auction, is there any other reason you think people should just come out to this event? It's just a lot of fun. There's nothing like this event anywhere else in the Triangle. And it's, it's very, very creative. Um, and one thing I didn't mention is when you walk in, you can participate in our red carpet um, photo shoot. So you can get photos of yourself against the backdrop like you're in Hollywood or something. So it's really cool. Is there anything else you want to add and tell our listeners? Just to come on out, check it out. Um, you can get tickets online at activategood.org. Um, we do stop online sales Friday evening, but we will have limited tickets available at the door on Saturday as well. All right. Well, I hope our listeners will consider checking it out. If you would like to come, it is again on Saturday at the Marvel's Kids Museum on 201 East Target Street. The doors open at 7, the show starts at 8, 
and the doors will close at 11 p.m. Thanks for coming on the show, Amber. Thank you. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Sarah Awad. And now, here are your campus happenings for the following week. Here's what's going on at NC State. Many college students believe that study abroad can be too expensive for them. However, study abroad at NC State is affordable and can be a reality for most. The Study Abroad office is hosting a Funding Your Study Abroad information session tomorrow from 2.30 to 3.30 in Tally Student Union. Visit studyabroad.ncsu.edu for more information. Tomorrow afternoon, the North Carolina Department of Transportation will be hosting an open house to encourage discussion about the I-440 Improvement Project. It's open to the public and will take place from 4 to 7 p.m. inside the Pioneers Building at Method Road Park. Also tomorrow, NC State presents the traditional Thanksgiving meal at all dining halls. Gather around with your favorite Wolfpackers and dig in for a delicious hearty meal from 4.30 to 7.30. Tomorrow evening, as well as on Thursday evening, the Ladies in Red a cappella group will be performing in the Titmus Theater in Thompson Hall. The performance begins at 7 p.m. both nights. Visit arts.ncsu.edu for ticketing and more information. Tomorrow night is the opening of NC State University Theater's production of Around the World in 80 Days. This exceptionally graceful adaptation of the Jules Verne classic is both wise and fun-filled. Aboard trains, steamships, and elephants, the characters learn about the heart, themselves, and a world much bigger than they anticipated. Catch the performances Thursday through November 23rd in Thompson Hall. Check arts.ncsu.edu for tickets, times, and more information. Thursday, Alexander Rosenberg of Duke University will give a talk titled Making Mechanism Interesting as part of the College of Humanities and Social Sciences Logic and Cognitive Science Lecture Series. The event is open to the public, and you can catch his lecture at 4.30 in Riddick Hall, room 321. Thursday evening, as part of the Fidelity Investments Leadership and Technology Speakers Series, co-founder and CEO of SAS, Jim Goodnight, will discuss an epic entrepreneurial journey, how creating a unique culture for innovation leads to unlimited possibilities. The event will take place in the Hunt Library Auditorium at 6 p.m. Also Thursday evening, NCSU Center Stage presents Daka Braka with their subversive Ukrainian punk folk music. Featured at Bonnaroo and New York's Global Fest, the group has toured around the world with their astonishingly powerful and uncompromising vocal range that creates a transnational sound rooted in Ukrainian culture, accompanied by Indian, Arabic, African, Russian, and Australian traditional instrumentation. The performance will take place at 8 p.m. in the Tally Ballroom. For tickets and for more information, visit go.ncsu.edu slash give take. Friday morning, the intensive English program welcomes all to visit the new office space, including classrooms, tutoring space, labs, and more. Visitors will also have the opportunity to meet the staff and learn about the program's mission and presence on campus. The office is at 2526 Hillsborough Street, Suite 200, right above Sir Speedy. And the open house begins at 1130 and ends at 2 p.m. on Saturday. Friday night at 7, the NC State Jazz Ensemble will perform in Thompson Hall. For tickets, visit arts.ncsu.edu. Sunday, the NC State Music Department presents the Raleigh Civic Symphony. The group will perform at 4 p.m. in the Tally Ballroom. Visit arts.ncsu.edu for times. This weekend at the Campus Cinema, the movies Get On Up, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and Little Rascals will be showing. Visit uab.ncsu.edu for times. For more information on these events and more, visit ncsu.edu slash calendar. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm DJ Trillian.
that's all we have for you this evening. As always, if you heard anything you liked, you hated, or anything that made you think, you can let us know and tweet at us at WKNC underscore EOT, where you can also catch up on some more local news. Also, be sure to check out our blog at blog.wknc.org, where you can also download our podcast. After Hours is up next at 8, and you can catch another episode of Eye on the Triangle next week right here on WKNC. We'd like to thank our international news correspondent Sydney and contributors Mark and Sarah. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Nick Savage. Good night. Good night.